Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. going to be sharing, if you want to start, we're going to go in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We, we're going to be looking at it, we're going to be reading a good bit of scripture today, uh, and I always have a lot of scripture, today's even a little bit more than usual, because we're going to be reading a little bit about a narrative, a narrative about uh, a pretty famous person, but we're going to be looking at this from a perspective, I've never given a, uh, a message on this topic before, uh, for sure. King David, we're going to come out Melech David, King David, King David, he was a of course, uh, known as a man after God's own heart. This was, a, this was a tremendous, tremendous king. Of course, we know so much so that, that Messiah reigns on the throne of David. Okay, and so that's pretty high accolades for David, considering that he was only a man. Nonetheless, King David was indeed just a human being. And King David did a horrible thing. Uh, in fact, he did a few horrible things all connected to each other. He did some bad stuff. What did he do? King David, he had an affair with a married woman, uh, and when the resulting pregnancy could not be covered up, he had the woman's husband killed so that she could become his wife. Okay, I, I think it probably goes without saying, but I'll go ahead and say it. That's very bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, not just like a little bad. That's, that's not like, well, you know, it's, uh, he, he, he ran a stop sign. That's bad. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong. Okay, I'm not endorsing. But this is very, 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 very bad. I mean, you know, you, you don't get much worse than that, actually. I mean, that's absolutely horrific. And it's so interesting because he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, Nathan, and, uh, and the, the confrontation was one of those moments. I mean, if, we're not going to read the whole account today and the whole story about how he did it, but, but the story about what David had done in having this affair and, and this, this, this pregnancy and then, then having the, the woman's Bathsheba's husband killed uh, and, and hearing how Nathan confronted David with it is one of those things that, wow, you know, if, if, if David's not around, I want to see that on DVD in heaven, just because it was one of those intense confrontations when, when he brought David's sin before him in, in one of the most intense ways I've ever heard of. Uh, and, uh, and so once Nathan, the prophet, made it clear that God was well aware of David's intense and horrific sin. David, how did David reply? See, this is very important. How, 
How did David reply to when he was held accountable for his sin? Let's pick it up in verse 13. 2 Samuel 12, 13 says this. Here's David's reply. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Adonai. Nathan replied to David, Adonai also has made your sin pass away. You will not die. However, because by this deed you have made the enemies of Adonai greatly blaspheme, so even the child born to you will surely die. Whew. This, was, this, this had to be about the, the most intense thing that David experienced in his life. And man, that, the guy experienced a lot. The consequences were harsh for David's sin, but the sin was harsh. It was profoundly evil, profoundly evil. Scripture says it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Yet at the same time, without question, David, when confronted with his sin, was repentant. There can be no question. We're going we're gonna to talk about it today. We're going to see in different scripture portions even the, how clearly David was so very repentant. In fact, let's turn to, you can kind of put a little piece of paper in 2 Samuel 12, Psalm 51. Let's go to Psalm 51. You're familiar with Psalm 51, which is David's prayer to God of repentance for what he had done with Bathsheba and to her husband. So let's, let's read some of David's prayer of repentance when Nathan confronted him. This is what David prayed to God. In Psalm 51, we'll pick it up in verse 3. The whole chapter is, is remarkable, and we'll get to more of it later. But, but King David said to God, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your mercy, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Wow, man, that's from the king. Israel was the most powerful country in the world at the time. And he was the king with complete power. But what a a sense of humility. What What a heart of repentance Beloved, we have to be able to repent. Genuine repenting for what he did, although what he did was severe, but genuine repentance for what he did is one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart. Man, when he fell, I mean, he fell like nobody else fell. He fell hard. I mean, you can't really fall much worse. And yet his repentance was so intense, severe, and sincere that God looked favorably 
upon it. You see, David was willing to say that he was wrong. Are you able to say that you're wrong? That, that's one of the things that, sadly, a lot of people have a problem saying. I'm sorry I was wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry I was wrong. Maybe all of you should like almost practice that, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry I was wrong. You want a good marriage? Practice it. I'm sorry I was wrong, you know? <laughs> it's one of the things, but people have such an issue with saying that they're wrong. It's so interesting. It's like people have a speech impediment when it comes to that. I was, I was, I may have not been completely right. Oh, okay, okay, you may have not been completely right. No, 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 no. I was wrong. Oh, my gosh. Come on, y'all. You know where we're at right now. But, but importantly, there's even more to this story. And I want to dig even a little bit deeper in this today. And I want to, to think about the bigger picture with David because it relates to this whole central story in his life of this horrible sin. But yet, how it affects the rest of his life and in what ways. We're going to talk about this. It's the month of Elul. We are in the month of Elul right now. And during the month of Elul, as, what are we doing? We are preparing ourselves for the high holy days. That's what we should be doing. If you are a visitor here or if you're new to, to Judaism, you're new to Messianic Judaism, the holidays are, are instituted by, guess who? <laughs> by the Almighty, the creator of the universe, as an everlasting covenant with, with Israel. And, and so we, we, and he's the one who came up with the idea of these holidays. And the month of Elul immediately precedes the High Holy Days, immediately precedes. And so as we're getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is Yom Teruah, biblically Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Shemini Atzeret, when we will celebrate uh, Simchat Torah, what do we know? One of the things that we know is that Yom Kippur, which is only about what, maybe 20 days away from now or so, Yom Kippur symbolizes judgment. We know that. It's called the Day of Atonement. It symbolizes judgment. God has these holidays in our calendars every year for a reason, to teach us, to instruct us, to remind us, to put a check on us, to challenge us, to hold us accountable there's a reason why God has all the festivals and feasts spread throughout the year. They are so mm, treasured. They, they're, they're like sweet honey. They're priceless to us. Why? Because at different times of the year and in different ways, they bring us back and focus us back to God. Focus us on what we need to be focused on. It's so easy to lose focus. And part of the focus of the month of Elul is what? We should use this month to really, really focus on being clean before our God. Why? Remember, Yom Kippur symbolizes judgment. And if you know that judgment is coming... 
It's a reminder for us to really clean up our act, right? If you know that the judge is about to, to pass judgment, so to speak, then, then you're going to focus on being more on your best behavior. It only makes sense. This is what Elul is a reminder of to a certain extent. One of the themes of Elul is repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. Why? Because that draws us closer to God and prepares us for the day of atonement. We know that our atonement has come through the Messiah Yeshua, but that does not relieve us of the responsibility to focus on repentance and forgiveness ourselves. Someone say amen. And much is said during the high holy days about repenting to God. And much is also said at this time during the high holy days about forgiving others. And rightly so. These are key foci, if you will, for this appointed time. No question about it. That should be our focus. Repentance and forgiving. Forgiving others. But there's another part. There is another part of forgiveness that oftentimes does not get as much attention. And honestly, as I was really reflecting upon it and, and uh, meditating on it, there's this part of forgiveness is a part that affects some people more than others. And that is forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself. I want to present to you today, as I was really digging into the, to the word and thinking about this, this topic, really, I want to present to you two, two scenarios, and really a third also. I want to present to you a total of three scenarios that I want to share with you, and you're going to understand exactly what I'm talking about as I uh, discuss and illustrate these three different scenarios. They're commonly what happens when people sin. When people, I'm talking about believers. When believers sin, they're oftentimes one of three things that, that kind of happen. And you'll understand when I'm talking about it. The first kind of scenario is that people, when they sin, think little of it. They think little of it. They don't really let it bother them one bit. <laughs> and let's face it, that's a lot of people. Yes, even believers. They'll sin, but it's like, meh. And they just move along. And they justify it. And I'm talking about even if they're believers. They're, meh, whatever. And they really don't, don't dwell on it. They don't focus on it. They're not bothered by it. You know, okay, everybody sins, they justify it, and maybe at best, at best, they'll say, oh, God forgive me. Dainu, that's enough. Carry no remorse whatsoever. It's pretty common, actually. 
I'd say it's perhaps the most common scenario for when people sin. I'm talking about even people of faith. Just kind of move along. You all know this. Let's face it, all of us have done this. The second scenario is the person who sins and is so grieved, so grieved by what they have done that they allow themselves to be condemned. They listen to the adversary as he whispers things in their ear about how bad they are. Frequently, they don't, they don't seek to be used by God because they feel that they have failed spiritually. I'm so bad. Oftentimes, they lose their zeal or their passion for God out of Shame. Oh, how can, how can God use me after what I did? Oh, that person thinks well of me, but they don't know really what's going on. Oh my gosh, if the, the, this person doesn't know what's going on in my head or what I've done or what I've said. Oh man, if they knew, God, God would not want to, to use me. He, there's plenty of other better people. At best, it affects their self-esteem and their, and their self-worth, diminishing them both. And they don't think that they're, they just think they're no good because they've failed and, and they've failed God and they've, they've sinned and they sin and, and, and they've messed up and, and, it, and maybe it's caused a whole balagon, a whole you know, chaos or difficulty or trouble and, 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 and maybe it's something that's bad and Friends, I want you to recognize that both of these attitudes are unhealthy. Both of these are unhealthy. Now, it is my observation <laughs> that there are more people in the former rather than the latter, okay? <laughs> Meaning that I think that most people don't give it much of a thought after they sin. And they're simply too casual about it. Eh, whatever. But some people are hindered much of their lives by old sin that they can't quite move past. And for that matter, the sin might have been even before they were a believer. Maybe it was something really bad, something they did, something they said, and something just, just, is just hanging with them and affecting them still very much today because of their, their feelings of guilt and shame. And it affects even their self-worth and their persona. Friends, I'm going to tell you that I know that this happens. I, I I meet people in my office for counseling, and, and sometimes it comes out. And, and it's not something that people will typically dwell on 
because they don't really want to dwell on it, but it's just something that's always there that affects them. I know for a fact that there are people who come to Bethel pretty much only high holy days because of this. They're so ashamed. And so they only come, and I, and I try, but they're, they're held on to, they, they're, they're bound by things they've done in their past. Now then there's the third scenario. I told you there were three. There is the third scenario, which is the healthiest one. This is the person who is truly grieved by their own sin. Truly grieved by their own sin and sincerely repents to God and to others if necessary. They own their actions. They own it. They don't try to make excuses. They don't try to shift the blame. They own it and are remorseful, sincerely. Sincerely remorseful. And they are, in the fullest sense of the word, you know, to, to repent, to shuvah, okay, in, in the fullest sense of the Hebrew word, it is to turn away to turn from. And so in the fullest sense of the word, these people repent, meaning they turn from their previous behavior, recognizing that their actions, their sin, is one of the reasons why Yeshua had to go to the execution stake. I think a lot of believers don't think about that, especially when they just casually, oh, God, forgive me. And then they just move on so quickly. Not even thinking for a second that that God forgive me, that sin that necessitated that God forgive me is what put Yeshua on the tree of sacrifice for us. And it's something that should be considered when you repent so that you turn away. But yet at the same time, They understand God's grace, God's mercy, and yes, God's forgiveness. They know that God's forgiveness is absolute. And although there may be consequences because of their sin, part of their job at this point is to walk in their forgiveness, don't do it again, and teach others. Do you get me? That's the third scenario. So the the first one, people are just way too casual about it. And even if they say, God forgive me, it's a casual God forgive me, and they move along. There's no remorse. There's no really turning away. It's very Casual. The, the second scenario is somebody who's just bound by their past sin, shamed by their past sin, condemned by their past sin, and they're not forgiving them themselves, even though God is willing to forgive them, has forgiven them. And then that third most healthy scenario 
is when somebody sins, they sincerely, they own it, they own their sin, they don't deny it, they don't try to make excuses for it, they own it, but they're sincerely remorseful. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. I know what this did. Caused you to go to the tree of sacrifice for me. And they repent, meaning they turn away from it. They make a change in their life afterwards. They purpose, if you will, not to do that again. But then beyond that, they walk in the forgiveness. They understand the grace and mercy of God for forgiving them of their sin. And then they don't do it again and they teach others and use that forgiveness as a tool to to show and teach others. That's the healthy one, right? Now, in this light of these three scenarios, because why am I painting you these scenarios here today? It helps us understand a little bit the story of King David. In this light, let's examine again King David's actions after he is caught sinning. So let's look at it. We're going to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. First, as we read before, he has repented. We, we heard the beginning of his repentance already. We read that. But his repentance is what? It is deep and it is sincere. And he's owning it. And he is repenting sincerely for it. Yet, my friends, please understand this. Even when there is forgiveness, sometimes there are consequences. How many of you know that? Sometimes there are consequences to sin, even if there is forgiveness for sin. God will forgive you. That doesn't mean that there are not sometimes consequences that happen because of sin. Remember, in this story, Nathan the prophet told David that out of his sin, that this child that he had with Bathsheba, this child would die. Well, sure enough, what happens? The child becomes very ill and is nearing death. And how does David react? Let's read a little bit about how David reacts. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16, Therefore David sought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the floor. Oh, wow. Verse 17, the elders of his household stood beside him in order to get him up from the floor. But he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him and he didn't listen to our voice. So how can we tell him the child is dead? He might do something terrible. Oh my goodness. David, David fasted. David prayed. David was hoping for a different outcome. Man, man, you could tell he was hurting. Verse 19. Mm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David asked his servants, is the child dead? He is dead, they said. 
Then David got up from the floor, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. Then he went to the house of Adonai and worshiped. When he came back to his own palace, he asked for food. So they set food before him, and he ate. His servants asked him, what is this thing you've done? You've fasted and wept while the child was still alive, but as soon as the child died, you got up and ate food. He being David, David replied, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I thought, who knows? Adonai might be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? It is I who will be going to him, but he will never return to me. Man, that is intense. Oh my gosh. Oh, my heart breaks. David was clearly remorseful, y'all. Oh my Lord, he was remorseful. We read that in Psalm 51. And we see it through his actions here. Yet at the same time, although painfully remorseful, he recognizes that he needs to forgive himself if he's going to move forward in serving the Lord. And to show his amazing nature, he gets up. Uh, it's, it's hard to even understand. He gets up, washes himself, anoints himself, and goes to the house of God to worship. Whew. Man, think about that for a minute. He could, have been, been, he could have easily been mad and blamed God. He could have blasphemed God, pointed the finger elsewhere. Many would have. At the same time, he could have dwelt on his own sin so much that he'd never be comfortable being in God's presence again after what he did. Yet the first thing he does is he enters the presence of God and worships him. Whoa. Friends, we see in David this perfect balance. We see in David this perfect balance. You want to know some why, even after doing such horrific things, God calls David a man after my own heart. You see it some here. And if we, and if we read more of his writings, it becomes even more clear where he is on this balance in the three scenarios and where he's at. Let's go back to Psalm 51. His, his prayer to God of repentance. Listen carefully and think to yourself, 
which of the three type of people David is as we continue to read part of his repentance. Psalm 51, we'll pick it up in verse nine. What does he say to God? He says to God, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness so the bones you crushed may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Take not your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Skipping to verse 19. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Whoo! Wow. David, 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 David. Let's break this down for just a minute here. Let's unpack this some. First, King David acknowledges that when God forgives him, he will be washed whiter than snow. Well, okay, whiter than snow relative to the crimson, the red of sin, means pure. He recognizes and he states that God, when you wash me, even with all the bad stuff he did, he broke multiple commandments of the Ten Commandments in one incident, and the most severe ones. Even with as severe as that that he did, he recognizes that if God forgives him, he will be pure again, whiter than snow. He recognizes the nature of God's complete forgiveness. And he recognizes that even as severe as the consequences were, they're still not as great as he deserved. So his heart is contrite. He's humble. And he is truly remorseful. No question. Yet he doesn't live in condemnation and shame. On the contrary, what does he ask God for? He asks God for joy and gladness. How very interesting and seemingly counterintuitive. As he, this is this whole chapter is his prayer of forgiveness to God and repentance to God for what he did with Bathsheba. He asks for joy and gladness and a clean heart, although he says his bones have been crushed. You see in this the full picture of it. It's so interesting. Then what does he say? Then he says, I will teach. I will teach transgressors your ways, O God, 
and sinners will return to you, God, because of it. Oh my gosh. So he's even going to use his sin and God's forgiveness of it and restoration of him to teach others so that they repent and then turn to God. Beloved, do you see this? Do you hear this? What an amazing balance. What a remarkable balance. This is the balance that we need. God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness should be a testimony of praise of the mercy of God and not a scarlet letter of shame. As you consider your life and what you've been through as we near the high holy days, I'll say this. I, I will say this because a lot of you are thinking in a lot of different ways. Some of you are thinking that God is, I, I, I'm sure of this, what I'm about to say. Some of you, maybe online too, are thinking explicitly of some prior sin in your life that you're ashamed of, that you know has still affected you to this day. Even though maybe even intellectually or philosophically you know that God has forgiven you, but yet it still plagues you in a negative way even today. That's some of you, no question. However, I'll say this. If you're here and you've never, and I mean never, if you've never struggled with unforgiveness of yourself, if you've never suffered from self-condemnation, then odds are you're probably too casual regarding your own sins and not remorseful enough. Why do I say this? Because the struggle is that balance. The struggle is that mid-place where you have to be. That, that should be our struggle, is to not be this way and not be that way, but to be right here in the middle. But if you have never, ever struggled with being out of balance on one side, odds are that you're probably out of balance on the other side. At the same time, I know that there are those of you who tend to be your own worst critic when it comes to sin. Some, one time many years ago, somebody shared something with me that really helped me in uh, being able to forgive myself. And maybe this ministers to you because it puts it in a different context that, that takes away any kind of false, false humility or, or, or self-condemnation. Think of it this way. If you don't, if you don't forgive yourself you're implying that Yeshua's sacrifice was not sufficient for your sin. That's what you're saying. 
Oh, maybe it's okay for forgive other people, but what I did. Oh, Yeshua's sacrifice was not enough. Oh, no, 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 that's, that's not what I meant. Well, that's kind of what you're saying. You've got to be willing to forgive yourself, beloved. Some of you struggle with that. Some of you have struggled with this for years. In certain areas. It's not everything. There's not many of you who struggle because of one, because you got angry one time and raised your voice and, and that was that. No, it's usually something that has a consequence to it something that is hurtful or was hurtful to you or to others, something that was particularly egregious, that you just can't let it go. You can't release it to the Lord. You can't forgive yourself. First Timothy chapter one, listen to the words of Shaliach, Rabbi Shaul, Paul the apostle. Remember that Paul was what? A persecutor of the early messianic Jews. He was a torturer and a persecutor of the early Messianic Jewish body. And this, this, gives you, this gives you a sense of where Paul was, where Rabbi Shul was out of these three scenarios I talked about. Listen to what he says, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. Rabbi Shul says, I thank Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, appointing me to service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Yet I was shown mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with the faith and love that are in Messiah Yeshua. Trustworthy is the saying and deserving of complete acceptance. Messiah Yeshua came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Yet for this reason, I was shown mercy so that in me as the foremost, Messiah Yeshua might demonstrate his complete patience as an example for those about to put their trust in him for eternal life. Wow, how interesting. I'm going to tell you, when I, when I read that in the context of thinking about all this, I thought, my gosh, that's King David. That is King David. That's the, that's the same heart. That's the same attitude for Paul remembering all the horrible things that he had done. But putting them in perspective, you bet he was remorseful. Clearly, Paul was remorseful. He calls himself the foremost of sinners. He's not shucking the, the, the blame to somebody else. He, he's not pointing the finger elsewhere. He's not making excuses. No, 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 no. He says, mess me. I'm the foremost of sinners. Yet he uses this as a testimony of God's great mercy. He does not allow that to paint who he is today. You see this? It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you leave it in the past, ask for God's forgiveness. Be sincerely remorseful for it. Turn away from that. Don't do it again. 
and then teach others. This is what Paul is doing exactly. He says, for this reason I was shown mercy to show others about the great patience and mercy of God. Wow. He didn't let it stop. You know, Paul could have said, you know, listen, I, I'm just happy to have salvation. I mean, after all, I, all the bad stuff I did, persecuting, I was there when Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was effectively a murderer of the early Messianic Jews. He could have said, you know, after all that I've done like that, just, just man, if I could get into heaven at all, and I, I'm just, and live in a total state of condemnation and shame, you know he could have. But Paul understood what forgiveness of God meant. And Paul was able to forgive himself, although re remaining remorseful, What does Paul further write? Romans 8, 1, you know the scripture. Paul further writes this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Do you hear that, beloved? There is no condemnation if you are in Messiah Yeshua. If you are feeling feelings of being condemned because of stuff that you did once you've asked God for forgiveness, especially, you know that's not of the Lord. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, convicts. He does not condemn. That condemnation is the adversary who's trying to whisper to you, you're no good. Why keep trying? Why, who do you think you are? You're just being a phony. You're a two-faced. You're putting on a mask. You're like that in, in synagogue. And you know, come on, you know who you really are. You know what it is that you did. You know what it is that you said to so-and-so. You know what it is you looked at on the internet. You know what it is that you felt in your heart or thought in your mind. You know who you really are. Who do you think you are? You just, you just need to... That's condemnation. That's condemnation. No, no, no. Be remorseful. Own it. But once you ask for forgiveness, be able to, in God's great mercy, move forward. Rabbi Shaul in Philippians 3 says that he forgets what is behind him and strains for what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal of Messiah Yeshua. You can't do that if you're living in condemnation. So as we, as we prepare to conclude, let's go to Psalm 103 which is also a psalm of David. And let's hear part of his conclusion. Psalm 103, 103. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I haven't had as, as, as much kind of humor in this message as I typically do, but yet it, it's not a harsh message. It's a message of, of great hope. It's an encouraging message. You know, although I think that the, Topic is pretty intense, you know. Psalm 103, verse 10 says this. What does King David say? King David says about God, he said, He has not treated us according to our sins or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So, beloved, hear this. 
God forgives you. And the title of my message is Forgive Yourself. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anybody here who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah. If that's you and you've never given your life to God, but you'd like to today, just raise your hand and we'll pray together. If that's you and you've never said a prayer to say, yes, I need forgiveness of my sins. I need the Messiah. If that's you, just lift your hand and we'll pray together. Be honest about it. Don't let anything get in your way. Heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Oh, if you're watching online and if you've never said that prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, but you'd like to, repeat this prayer after me and and the Lord will change you on the inside. Say, dear God, I humbly come before you. I accept Yeshua into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins. God, I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God, in Yeshua's name. Ah, yeah, if you said that prayer and believe in your heart, please send us an email we want to celebrate with you. Or if you're here in the audience, you said that in person. If you said that prayer for the first time, please see me after the service. I want to celebrate with you. But for the rest of us, everybody who's here, and if you're watching online or listening on the podcast, either way, If you are here and something, as this message has gone along, there's something that has come to mind that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, has brought to your remembrance. Something has come to mind where you have not forgiven yourself. Maybe big, maybe small, maybe recent, maybe 50 years ago. Something in your life where you haven't forgiven yourself. If that's you, raise your hand. God knows. God knows. Release it. Just raise your hand. That's you. Be honest. Yeah, I see that hand. See that? See those hands? Yeah. Lord, in the name of Yeshua, I pray for each person who raised their hands. God, I just pray that you provide healing, your healing touch. I pray, God, that they would see their sin in the, in the light of your forgiveness, which is, makes them whiter than snow. And God, I pray that they no longer allow the adversary to have a hold on them for whatever it was that they were not forgiving themselves for. Lord, I pray that they are able to forgive themselves. Why? Not because their forgiveness covers it, but because your atonement covers their sin and is sufficient. 
So thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for this. We bless you, God. Mm. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who has been too casual with their sin and has not, uh, has not taken into account the fullness of the remorse that they need when it comes to repentance, we are in the month of Elul, Lord. Help us. Help us to, to see the true depravity of our sin so that we will turn to you for your atonement and forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for these things. God, we bless you. Bashem Yeshua, in the name of the Messiah Yeshua. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethlehel family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.